Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In the culture in which we live today, virtually no one is responsible for anything that they do, right? Oh, well, you know, God made me that way, or it's my right, or it depends on what the definition of is is, right? Have you noticed that hardly anybody is to blame for anything anymore? What I mean is that the culture in which we live today seems to have, for the most part, lost the concept of personal responsibility. It seems that if someone messes up, they blame their parents or their circumstances or their employer or even God. But the Bible has something very different to say about our sin. You have to own your sin. You have to understand the sin nature that's within you and the capability of you to go in a direction that God would not have you to go in. And if you just try and put it off, oh, well, God just made me or God did this. No, you have to own where you are in your own life. You have to own the temptations to know what they are within you and be prepared to allow God's power to work in your life. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we continue our series, Building on the Basics, and we are making our way through the book of James and discussing the basics of faith. As we've already seen in the first two weeks of this series, James has a lot to say about faith. As we move into the second half of chapter 1 of James' letter, we will see James beginning to discuss some other subject matter. But as Pastor Clay will explain, it is still tied to the necessity of faith. One of the subjects James begins to discuss is the responsibility of our sin. It seems that some people had the idea, through their circumstances, God was tempting them to sin. As we'll hear, James sets that record straight in a hurry and in the process shows us the true origin of our sin. He spells it out as clear as can be spelled out. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone with evil. No, this is on you, sir. This is on you, ma'am. If you yield to sin, it's on you. It's because of you, and you have to own the sin that is yours. That's just one part of the discussion today, as Pastor Clay walks us through the rest of chapter 1 of James and helps us discover how our faith walk affects every part of our life. We're so glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. We're walking through James, and uh, James is one of these guys that really tries to bring home the idea that don't miss it. There's there's something you need to understand, something you need to get about this whole faith thing. We're in James chapter 1. We're going to hopefully time permitting. If if we don't get to it, that's fine. Uh, But we're going to try and wind up the chapter uh, today. James chapter 1, we're beginning in verse 13. There's a few things I want to just highlight uh, that James brings out, and I want you to take it, I want you to think about it, I want you to apply it uh, to your life because, because that's what this is about, right? What is it I call it? It's the so what principle. So what if you spend an hour in here? So what if, if I stand up here and say all this stuff? So what if you take notes and, and you're free to do that? We, we give you an outline on the back. If you don't like to do that, then just sit and, and uh, listen to me, but uh, try and stay awake. But, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, so what if it doesn't make an application to my life, right? Would y'all agree with that? Y'all got better stuff to do with your time, Right? My wife said, that's right. <laughs> she does. Thank God for my wife. James chapter 1. We're in verse 13. Y'all ready? Text is provided on the screen. Uh, I myself use a uh, hard copy, uh, but whatever the case may be. James chapter 1, verse 13. We're in, I realize we're picking up, if you haven't been with us in the previous weeks, we're picking up in the middle of this, but we'll, uh, we'll f- hopefully fill in some blanks in a minute here. Uh, James says in James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, well, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth what? Death. Watch this, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's kind of an old-fashioned way of saying, don't, don't, don't fool yourself. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks in his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone thinks uh, himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is what? Worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, Let's see uh, how far we get this morning with this. Let's start with this idea. Here we go. Uh, My sin. I have to own it. That's where James starts. Now, as you you look at this and you start, if you've been with us previously, we get to this point in verse 13, it may seem like James is beginning to to, uh, change uh, subject matter. And in some sense, that's true. But what you will find is that James is always coming back to the central theme of his book, which is, someone, anyone? Faith. James is always coming back. He's always making some application of it. And that includes in this area of sin, where James begins to point out that, that, is, that is with this faith understanding, that is by faith that we begin to understand the, the, the severity of sin, the, 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 the consequences of sin. And so, in some sense, he's, he's moving, he's transitioning into beginning to talk about some th- other things. He's been talking about sin, but it's always coming back to faith. And so James begins to say, uh, let none of you say when, when, uh, when he is tempted that he's being tempted by God. See, apparently there were then, and, and there are still today, I'll be honest with you, there were then people who, because of some trials that they had been through, right? And we, we spent the last two weeks in the earlier part of James chapter 1 where, where James talks about those trials and God's purpose in those trials. Y'all remember some of that? He talks about those purpose. But some people were going through trials, just like you, right? Just like me, we all go through trials. But as a result of the, whether it was the stress, whether it was the, whatever it was of the trials, some people were yielding to some sinful behavior or practice in their life, whatever it might have been. And James doesn't specify. But because of that, they were saying, well, 
you know, if, if God hadn't allowed me to go through this trial, if God hadn't put me through this trial, then, then I would have never given into that sin. So really, it's, it's God who's, who's tempting me. So basically, they're blaming God for the sin that, that they were taking upon themselves. And James, as I've already said, is this no-nonsense kind of guy. James says, don't, don't go there. Don't you even think about going there. Don't you put this on God. For God cannot, and he spells it out, it's as clear as can be spelled out. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone with evil. No, this is on you, sir. This is on you, ma'am. If you yield to sin, it's on you. It's because of you, and you have to own the sin that is yours. When I was in seminary, I managed the mailroom there at the seminary, and all the students had P.O. boxes. They had boxes. We delivered their mail into the boxes. And at one point while I was there, uh, we began to receive, uh, for a particular student, uh, Playboy magazines. <laughs> Wait for it. Don't steal my punchline. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you're right. And I'm managing the mailroom. I can't just, you know, it's in the box. Not number one, I, I ought to be concerned about my brother. But number two... Other people know that that magazine has been delivered to the seminary. You understand what I'm saying? The, the postal service has delivered it to us. So I go to the dean of students, Dr. Mosley, and I tell him, you know, here's, what, here's what's going on. And so he brings the student in, and the student, you know, the student says, oh, it, it's for research, for a paper I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing a paper. It's, I'm, it's research. At some point, you, you've got to own it. You've got to say, no, no, this is on me. This is, this is what I've done. I'm responsible for this. And, and James goes into this, uh, this temptation progression, or really you might call it a regression. And he, it's interesting because he did something similar to this earlier in, in James. Do you remember when he did this progression in, with faith? He says, uh, uh, you, you have faith and testing then uh, uh, builds that faith so that it builds endurance into your life. Do you remember we talked about all that? And that endurance then produces this, this mature person lacking in nothing who is then in position to receive the wisdom of God. Do you remember that kind of progression he made? Well, he does the same thing uh, with this whole uh, temptation with this lust thing, except it's kind, of, it's kind of backwards. It's kind of the other way. He says, I think in the first part of verse uh, 18, uh, it says, but each one is tempted... He is carried away and enticed by, say it, his own, say it, lust, his own lust. I, I don't, I don't have to show of hands, don't have to have a show of hands, but I don't think there's a person in here that doesn't understand what James ta- means when he begins to talk about the lust that resides within each one of us. It, it's a reference to that sin nature that, that all of us have. And listen, lust is a word that we kind of naturally associate with, with sexual sin, but we can lust or desire in an unhealthy way a, a lot of things that God would not desire for us to want. So he, say, he says, he says that, that, that own lust within you, and then further on verse 18, uh, or, or verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my brother. He says, don't, he said, don't fool yourself about this. This is, this is on you. This is what you're doing. This deception is coming from within you, and, and you can try and blame God, or you can try and blame this, but John, James basically said, it's not, your, it's not your circumstances, it's not the trials you're going through, that, that, it, that it's coming up from within you. I guess probably the greatest example of this, uh, I think Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, the story of David and Bathsheba. Some of you, most of you probably are probably familiar with that story. You remember that story? 
And David gets up from his bed late at night and he goes up on the rooftop and while he's up there, it's, it was like the porch of, our, of, of their day. It was where they could, you know, get some breeze and all that kind of stuff. He goes, and he's looking over Jerusalem and, and what does he see? He sees Bathsheba bathing, right? Y'all, y'all read that story? Y'all don't know? <laughs> get a lot of blank looks here. All right. She was naked. And he looks out over the city and he sees Bathsheba. Now, here's a question I have for you. Has David sinned at that point? No, assuming, assuming that he did not know that if he got up at two o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was, and he's going to find this, assuming that he had not already scouted it out and knew that Bathsheba, what time she took her bath, assuming that he did not know that and he was simply going up there uh, for a time of refreshment or whatever else, uh, when David sees her, he has not sinned, has he? No, listen, let's, let's be honest. God has given man an eye for woman. Right? <laughs> that's, 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 that's okay. I mean, we understand that God has given man an, an eye for woman. That's how he's designed us. But he's also given us uh, parameters. He's, he's given us a pattern and, through which that we can express uh, those desires that we have to be shared with our, with our spouse. Uh, but David uh, sees the woman and, and he's not sinned at that point. But here comes lust from within David. It's there. And here comes lust. And, and David still has a sin because it's crunch time. It's the moment of truth. It's when, it's when you say yes or no, left or right, turn away, keep staring. Right? And here comes lust. And, and James is very clear. When, when lust, if, 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 it's not, if you don't deal with it, lust conceives, doesn't it? And, lust, and when lust conceives, it gives birth to what? Sin. Then it moves, then it becomes sin. And James says, make no mistake about it. Don't fool yourself about this. Sin, once birth, leads to death. Spiritual death, separation uh, from God, that, that whole idea. Separation from God came into the world because sin came into the world. Now listen, it's not hard, it's not hard to make application in the culture in which we live. Because in the culture in which we live today, virtually no one is responsible for anything that they do. Right? I mean, I'm not... I'm not, I, I love the time in which we live. I love all the conveniences and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you that, oh, well, you know, God made me that way. Or, you know, it's, it's my right. Or it depends on what the definition of is, is. Right? James says, no. No, you have to own your sin. You have to understand the lust that is within you, the sin nature that's within you, and the capability of you to go in a direction that God would not have you to go in. And if you just ignore, and if you just, or try and put it on, say, oh, well, well, God just made me, or God did this, or God, no, you have to own where you are in your own life. You have to own the, the temptations, to know what they are within you, and, and, and be prepared for, to allow God's power to work in your life. Male, female, it doesn't, it, it, whatever that, and it's not, and like I said, it's not just sexuality, but it's whatever would be unhealthy or unproductive or, or not in, in God's plan for our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, second idea uh, th- this morning, my redemption. I have to receive it. My sin, I got to own it. I got to recognize, no, it's, it's this on me. I, I gave into that. I did this. God, my redemption, I have to receive it. Now, let's look at verse 17 and 18. Y'all, y'all. Glad you're here today? Okay, good. Listen, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. James now kind of goes in the opposite direction. He'd gone, he'd gone this way saying, uh, no, God uh, does, is not tempted by evil, nor can God tempt or will God tempt anyone with evil. Now he goes to the other extreme. As a matter of fact, not only is he not the one that, that tempts with evil, God is the one that every good and perfect gift comes from. And, and to emphasize, he says, and he says, there's no variation with him. There's no shadow of turning with him. In other words, you know, we might do some good things for somebody some days or whatever, but there's no, there's no, God doesn't have bad days. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't wake up grumpy and say, well, I'm just not doing it today. No, every good and perfect gift, guys, every good and perfect gift. And then in verse 18, watch this, to drive it home. I love this, to drive it home. To drive it home, uh, James says, uh, listen, and the ultimate display of that good and perfect God and his good and perfect gifts, the ultimate display is the giving of himself so that we might be redeemed. So that we could be redeemed. And listen, here's what you, notice this, it's not me, it's what James says. Notice first that it's by his will that we're saved. Look, look at what it says. It's his will to save us. Verse 18, first part of verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. Listen, this is, this is one of the amazing things about this whole deal. God wanted to do this. God wanted to redeem broken, sinful people of whom I am chief. God wanted to do this. wasn't my idea. This wasn't your idea. This wasn't the Pope's idea. It was by his will that this is, that this is done. By the way, it's still his will that works and, and saves people. Just throw this out there. I, I, tell, I tell people this a lot of times in conversation because sometimes I get conversations with people and they'll say, well, yeah, I think, I think someday maybe I'll be ready for that or someday I, I, I might accept Jesus as my Savior. Why don't you understand something? You don't just wake up one day and decide you're going get, to get saved. You're going to give your life to Christ. The Spirit of God works and moves in your life. And when you recognize that, buddy, you better, you, you'd better respond to that. I, I'm just telling you, you just, it's not just something you just decide. It's his will uh, to save us. But James also says, second, that it was his word that saved us. It was his will to save us. It was his word that saved us. Again, verse 18, it carries on. He brought us forth by, say it, the word of truth. He brought us forth. He brought us out of sinfulness. He brought us out of uh, the penalty and consequence. He brought us out of that into the kingdom of life. And how did he do it? Say it again. By the, say it, word of truth. Two aspects of that. There is, first off, uh, the personal word revealed. Maybe you've read this. You've probably heard this uh, before. John chapter 1. Look at this. In the beginning was the, say it, word. And the word was with God. And the word, what? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then down to verse 14, you know this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the personal word revealed. Now, I, I fully confess that it's kind of a mysterious thing to say, okay, um, God, uh, God, the, you know, Part of the triune Godhead 
is the word. And the Greek, you know, it's logos, it's knowledge. It, it's okay, I don't understand exactly what that means. But the clear teaching of Scripture is that, that he was and is the word, that he did take on flesh, and that it is through the sacrifice of the word, Jesus Christ, that we are redeemed. It is personal word. Was real. He is the word of truth. By the way, Jesus said the same thing of himself. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes in the Father except by me. It's the personal word revealed. But, listen, it's also the prophetic word revealed. It, it, it's, it's the knowledge of what God has done that has been revealed to us through, through reading it, through the proclamation of it. Look at it real quickly, uh, Romans uh, chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of what? Faith, which we are preaching or proclaiming. Romans uh, chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, the, the sharing the good news and the preaching, the proclaiming of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the unveiling of mystery, which has been kept secret for ages, for long ages past. In, in, in the past, maybe they didn't understand all how God was going to do it or how the word would take on flesh, but, but now it's been revealed to us. Uh, again, Apostle Paul, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, they don't, they don't get it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One more. First uh, Corinthians again, uh, again in chapter 1. In his wisdom, he did not allow man to come to know him through the wisdom of, of this world. Man didn't figure it out or man didn't say, well, I think if we, if we build a, a tower to the sky, we could get, we'd get to God that way. Or if I do this or if I do that. No, not through the wisdom of this world. It pleased God. You like that? It pleased God to save men from the punishment of their sins through preaching the good news. And it's, it's not just the guy standing up here, right? Pre- preaching means to proclaim, to tell. It's, it's when you're talking to the guy at the cubicle next to you or when you're ca- talking across the fence to your neighbor or when you're, when you're, you're at your bedside talking to your children. It's, it's the preaching, it's proclaiming of, of, the, of the good news. And then, it's, and then Paul said, this preaching sounds foolish. It sounds foolish to those that don't want to receive it. Why? Well, I don't know. Eternal God uh, took on flesh and became a man. He lived a sinless life, but he allowed his life to be taken from him. He laid his life down, but then he came back to life three days later. And oh, by the way, he went back to heaven, but he's coming back again. It's been a couple thousand years, but he's coming. That's foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's what a person would say. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's foolish. And, and for those who are followers of Christ, we'd say, no, no, that, that's faith. It is by faith. It is by faith. I'm going to remind you of this, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That sounds so foolish to the world because every, every belief, religion, cult, ism, and whatever else in the world you want to think of basically comes down to what, what would be called a work salvation, that it's what you do or, or how good you can be or how many people you can help or how much money you gave or, or how, how many sins you didn't commit or all this kind of stuff. And, and God says, absolutely not. Your redemption, you have to receive it because it's my gift. It was by my will and by my word that this was made possible. And that takes humility. 
And that's why many people are unwilling to come to Christ. They have to humble themselves and say, I'm basically, I have to say, I'm a dirty, low-down, good-for-nothing sinner. I deserve to bust hell wide open when I get there. But God chose to save me. Okay, um, one more idea this morning that I, that I want to get to, so I probably need to jump to that. My transformation, I have to live it. Now, it goes 19, it goes to the end of the chapter. I don't know, it may not read all of that. Let me just read some of it, then we'll see where it goes. But listen, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word, Implanted, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, this is, this is key. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I have to, I have to live it out. It has to become something real in my life. It has to be something that, that is authentic in my life. And James gives this list, okay? And I don't believe, there's no way the list is not intended to be exhaustive, right? When he begins to name some things that should not be in your life anymore as a follower of Christ, basically. It's not, it's not meant to be exhaustive, uh, but he, he, he mentions anger. And all of us know where anger, that anger itself can be sinful, but the, the, where anger can lead, right? And then he, he says this kind of, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, whatever all that, that would imply, certainly it's this idea of holiness, of set-apartness, of distinctness, that, that no, you're, you're different, and, and bridle your tongue. By the way, James is going to have more to say about the tongue uh, later on in his book, but I, I love the, the analogy that he uses of bridling your tongue. Any, any of us uh, that have ridden horses, you, you know the importance of, of the, the, the headgear, basically, that, that a horse wears, Right? Included in that is the is the the reins and the reins are connected to this bit that goes into the horse's mouth, right? Some of y'all have ridden horses. Horse, uh, if you've at least ridden that thing at Walmart, you put the, the the bit the bit goes in your mouth. It goes in the horse's mouth. <laughs> the horse goes in the horse's mouth, right? And it's with that with those reins and with that bit and with that that headgear that you control the animal. Everything else is controlled when you control the, the, what the mouth. Right? You can make the horse stop. You can make the horse go right or go left. That it's, it comes down to, to the bridle, to the, to the bit and the reins in the horse's mouth. And I'm just here to confess to you, right straight on up, that there is so much stupid stuff that has come out of my mouth that could have been prevented if, if it had just been bridled. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not an exhaustive list, and you'll have more to say about tongue and, and, and all those kind of things. But, but he... he, he he begins to point out that clearly there is this change that, that takes place in your life as a result of this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he says, and there, I guess it's verse 22, he says, this is his key, he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Y'all hear me? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And James seems to indicate that apparently there were people that, they're, they're showing up for church. They're in church every Sunday. They're, they're doing the church deal. But their life was not changed as a result of it. And what is it James says? He says they're fooling their self. They're just fooling their self. And listen, here's why, here's why the deception is so powerful. 
because they can give you all the right answers. Do you, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe he's born of a virgin? Absolutely, born of a virgin. I believe, as a matter of fact, I believe he died on the cross, and I believe three days later he came back to life and, and rose again. Well, Clay, isn't that what you have to believe to, to receive Christ as your Savior? Yes, it is. But James is clearly saying that if that belief doesn't change your life, it's not belief at all. You're fooling yourself, he says. You're kidding yourself. Listen, folks, this is a time of introspection in all of our lives to think, man, am I a doer of the word and not just a hearer? Is my life changed as a result of knowing Christ? And then, and then James gets, gives this almost comical but brilliant analogy of the mirror, right? He says, the, the guy that's a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like the guy that walks up to a mirror, looks at the mirror, looks at himself, turns around and completely forgets what it was that he just saw. Now think about what James is saying here. Why do we look into a mirror? For, for most of us, for most of us, it's not because we really like looking at ourselves that much. No, we look at a mirror to find out what's wrong, don't we? Isn't that why, ladies, isn't it, is, is my hair, is my toupee in place? Is, is, is there anything in my teeth? Is, is, there, is my tie if I wore a tie, is my tie straight? Right? You look in the mirror to see what's wrong and to make correction if something's wrong. Right? Isn't that why you look in a mirror? Come on, right? Even the one at, even one at the shop, and at, when you're in JCPenney and you're walking by and there's those big columns and they got mirrors on it, right? And you're walking by and you're like, what is that? I, I need to correct some of this. Isn't that why you look in a mirror? What is James saying? You're like the guy that looks at the mirror and he sees some stuff that's wrong. He sees some faults, but then he turns around and says, oh, I, don't, I don't even remember. Was my, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything. James, that's, that's, that's crazy. No, he says, but the guy that looks into the perfect reflection, the word of God, and he looks into that and, and, he, and by that he sees, do I look like a follower of Jesus? When I look into the word of God and I see what it says how I'm supposed to be, do I look like that? And if I don't, what do I need to do to correct it? What do I need to change? How do I need to act? Who do I need to ask for forgiveness? In what way can I? That's what he's saying. This, this transformation, this, this change has to take place in our lives as a result of it. Listen, here, here's, a, here's a question maybe that we can, uh, we can uh, think about. Am I honoring his death for me by living for him? As we move into this time of 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 commemorating the Lord's Supper, that's a question that's very relevant to what James is saying him here. Am I honoring his death for me? Because that's what this is about today. Am I honoring his death for me by living for him? And if I'm not, listen, James says, you are fooling yourself. Now think about this. How tragic, how tragic would it be to step out into eternity thinking that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ because you got all the answers right but to find out that you've only been deceiving yourself because your life was not actually changed as a result of following Christ. That's the kind of belief. Yeah, it's just by faith, but it's a faith that is in a belief that changes your life, ladies and gentlemen. And so to ask that question, am I honoring his death in the way I live my life? Because if it's just head knowledge, it doesn't make any difference. By the way, I, got, I forgot it, but I'll give you, Tyler can go back to give you a little, little clayism. I, stuff I like to come up with just because it's just fun for me. Can it just something to remind you of what James seems to be saying here? 
intellectual reception without a real life connection is really just self-deception. If I just receive it intellectually, if I just, and, I can, and I can regurgitate all the answers, oh yeah, Jesus, virgin birth, son of God, went to the cross. If I, if I just receive that intellectually, but it does not translate into a real life connection, that my life is changed as a result of this knowledge, it's just self-deception. So, here it is. One last question. Am I just a hearer of the word, or am I a doer of the word? That's where James is going with this. That's the question that you and I should ask ourselves, really not just today, but really every day in my life. Because, I mean, not, I'm, it, salvation, I believe, is a permanent gift when, when we're adopted in the family. I'm not, I'm not saying losing salvation or anything, but I'm just saying every day examining my life and saying, hey, Clay, today, were you a doer of the word? Or did you just, did you just listen to it? Or were you just a hearer? Well, as we've already seen in this study, James is a no-nonsense kind of guy that doesn't believe in beating around the bush. He gets straight to the issues. The principle that keeps coming through in James' letter is that if your faith is real, it has to be lived out. As far as God is concerned, there really is no such thing as a part-time follower of Jesus. When we sin, we have to own our sin. We have to take responsibility and stop blaming God or anybody else. We have to receive the redemption that God provides to all those who turn to Him. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, God wanted to do this. God wants to redeem lost, sinful people. And having come to Christ, we have to turn away from a life contrary to what God wants for us. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.